Well, my friends, Kajimratashiv, Ta Sulagomko will shivsha, Gomoyas, Jerry Adams and Shaw, Jerry Adams here, and in this podcast, I'm going to be talking about my old friend, Fra McCann. And Fra, as some of you may know, was recently diagnosed just before Christmas 2019 with cancer with terminal prostate cancer. And Fra, being the brave man that he is, uh, announced this, did several media interviews, and he spoke out because he believed that his words might succeed in persuading other men suffering similar symptoms to go to their doctors. Because Fra didn't do that, as he says, typical man, I put it off and put it off until... Jeanette actually made him go to the doctor. So if you're interested in our recent history and Fra McCann's role in this, go on to YouTube and onto the Fublock site and you'll see a new video about the life and times of Fra McCann. And another old friend, Richard McCauley, R.G. was the driver behind uh, recording this and Joe Austin did the interview and Martin McCauley did the filming and I, I saw it and I watched it and I was moved by it and I want to commend it to you all. Fra, Fra in his own way and Fra famously as a storyteller, he tells the story of his life and it's quite amazing and it's told in a very you know, modest, funny, humorous way. I've known him for the guts of 50 years now. And even as he battles cancer, he continues to live his life as an activist, as an MLA for the people of, of the Falls, a community and the people that he loves very much. And you know, it was like many of us, the pogrom of August 1969 that changed Fra's life. The barricades went up in Belfast. Local people stepped forward to defend their communities and among them was a very young Fra. Then several years later, aged 18, he was interned on the prison ship Maidstone for a month before being sent to Long Cash in February 1972. He was released in May of that year and then six months later, he was interned again and returned to Long Cash. And he was held there until December 1975. He was also uh, sentenced by in Cash for uh, an escape attempt. He was part of a, a group of internees who tunneled their way out of the camp. I remember very, very, very well. Uh, it wasn't long after the fire. And one of the internees, an IRA volunteer, Q Coney, was shot dead by the British troops just after they emerged from the tunnel. And at the time when he was killed, he was lying beside Fra. He was arrested many times in 76 when he obviously had been at the end of internment. Let out again, and he found himself on the crumb. 
and he and three other Republican prisoners went on the blanket protest. And Bobby Sands famously wrote about these comrades in the Crom and Belfast prison, wrote them a piece called The Forgotten Blanket Men. And eventually he was sent to the Hisplax. He joined with his comrades on the blanket demanding political status. He was released in 79. And then he travelled extensively through Ireland, went to France, went to North America. Uh, Desi Mackham was also in North America at the time. Desi's another comrade. And the talk is that he's actually quite discommoded at being written out of history by his old comrade, Mr. McCann, because the two of them were for a period in the correction centre in New York City. Fra was actually released on bail when the judge at one of the hearings asked why he hadn't applied for political asylum. And then when Frank Durkin, a wonderful lawyer, seized on that and applied for bail so that he could apply for political asylum, Fra was allowed out and he was able to go legally through the United States of America. Desi as he stayed in the correction centre. So when he came back home, fra back into his own community again, he joined the Dibbis Residents Association. Dibbis Flats was a monstrosity. It was constructed in the mid-1960s, and thousands of men, women and children were packed into the 19-storey Dibbis Tower and eight, 12 eight-storey interconnected uh, Flats are really depressing, bleak, overcrowded slum conditions. The, the, only, the only thing that was unique was, as always, was the spirit and the tenacity and the good humour and the resilience of the people who lived there. But, but, but they fought a daily, daily battle against inadequate public services, poor health, you know, a, a totally inefficient heating and lighting system. And there was excessive dampness and rotten insect infestation. And then from the early 70s, the omnipresence of Brit soldiers on the top of Divis Tower. And then to add to it all, in 84, asbestos was found. Now, I, I actually think that this period of Fra's life, because I consider the success of the Divis campaign, the Demolish Divis campaign, and the, 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 the campaigns to demolish other uh, bad slum-like structures like, like the one up in Moyard or the tea blocks up at Turf Lodge or down on the Shanka has been hugely important in terms of communal and social agitation and campaigning. So please God, somebody will chronicle in some detail uh, and on film uh, how that community, and it happened during Thatcher's time, so it was quite significant that the campaign was won, probably one of the most important and only, or one of the very few working class campaigns that were won uh, under her regime. And the same thing happened in Turf, Turf Lodge and Unity Flats, 
in my yard, and then the desperately bad uh, housing in, in Beachmount, and as I've said, in the, the lower Shankill. And the, the course of all of that, Fra was elected to Belfast City Council. And again, that was a, a dangerous place to be, especially for a member of Sinn Féin, for an elected representative of Sinn Féin, for a family member of Sinn Féin. Many were shot, family members were killed, injured, homes were attacked, and Fra remained steadfast throughout all of that. And then in 2003, he was elected to the Assembly, and he remained uh, involved in uh, the social and economic agitation on the ground for housing, education, health, the the leisure centre. Some buzz joke about the Falls Swim Centre being the Framacan uh, centre. And of course, he also continued to campaign for Irish unity, for freedom. He has no sectarian bone in his body, uh, understands only too well the conditions in working-class unionist neighbourhoods are exactly the same as the one that he comes from. He's been attacked many times, physically attacked. He's been threatened by unionist paramilitaries, by the British Army, by the RUC, by other antisocial uh, elements. And he's never allowed those threats to deter him. Framakhan's unbowed and he is unbroken. He's a false roadman. He's proud of his roots. He's proud of the struggle for freedom and self-determination that he's dedicated his life to. And he's proud also of his family, to his parents and all his brothers and sisters, and particularly to Jeanette and to Orla and to Fiona. So, Gnuri and Talat, Akara, Fra, Chiefy Mehu, Arbel. I want to deal with Akan now just with the recent opinion poll, the Lucid Talk poll that was published in the London Times. And I'm not a big fan of, of opinion polls. You know, a lot of people who are politically active dismiss the ones that they don't agree with and embrace the ones that support their view. But why, what's interesting about all of this is that there's a consistency around the issue of Irish unity being very, very much a centre of the political uh, talk at this time. And the Lucid talk poll uh, looked at the potential impact of Brexit on voter attitudes here in the north of Ireland. And the Sunday Times, the London Times also looked at uh, the same thing in, in England itself and in Scotland and Wales since the EU and the British government did their deal at the end of December. So th these, these findings all suggest that the trend towards fragmentation of the Union, the British Union, is growing stronger. And in particular, that a majority of citizens in the North and in Scotland want referendums on unity and independence within the next five years. And that is of enormous uh, significance. I won't go into any of the uh, 
the details of it of it here. But what it what it does argue for once again is the importance of the Irish government planning nigh for a referendum on Irish unity and planning to win that referendum and opening up a process of participation, of inclusivity, to agree the type of Ireland that we can shape if we had self-determination, if we had self-governance, if we had an end to the Union. And of course, the referendum is the method that's uh, included in the, in the Good Friday uh, Agreement. And it would be a mistake for anybody to think that support for a referendum also implies support for unity. It might. But there's a lot of work to be done, persuading people, uh, getting agreement from people, listening to people. Securing the referendum is one thing, winning that referendum and then moving in, in an inclusive way towards agreement and a stable, sustainable process of transition from this Ireland that's debated, that's has part of our territory under and part of our people under control of a government in England, moving into one where the people themselves determine our own future. So, good bit of work to be done. So let's continue to do it and let's continue to focus at the future. Having said that, uh, I just want to reflect for a moment or two on the death of Larry King. And Larry King, as you may know, he was a legendary uh, American broadcaster and he died at the weekend after 60 years of working in the radio and television. He was he was international in his uh, output and he was uh, a master at doing interviews in a way that was non-abrasive and which was uh, gentle but which still got to the nub of, 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 of the questions. And I remember one time David Frost, we're dropping a lot of names in this podcast, uh, but David Frost told me once that he, he believed in civility and asking questions reasonably. And his, his notion of it was that if an interviewer comes out an interviewee like a storm, the, the interviewee, the, the guest, will, will button up, button up his coat, huddle down, close up, and won't answer. But if the interviewer is like a warm sun, then the interviewee will relax and loosen up and be comfortable and more likely to give answers, which of course is what the media should be about, is getting information to the viewer or the listener. And I met Larry King during uh, my first trip to the States in January 1994. And I won't go into all the detail of that now, but the fact is that my voice, like all the voices of Sinn Féin representatives, was banned from the airwaves. And some journalists and some others had connived at using actors' voices to dub in, to sink in, uh, our words. But when we got to the States, this was news to people there. And when I got on the Larry 
King's show because it was broadcasting uh, into Europe and into Africa and one of its main hubs for that was in London. It too was subject to the broadcasting ban, Thatcher's broadcasting ban. And of course, Larry King was perplexed and bemused by this. And by him doing the interview with me and explaining to the viewers, that ban came into huge ridicule, particularly among journalists and broadcasters and media types across the USA and father of field. And I believe it contributed very much that, that, that sense of ridicule to pressing and forcing the British government quite soon afterwards to ending the broadcasting ban. So, Ganyuri and Ta, the Larry King, Larry King also did his bit in terms of all of this. The uh, William Kovrona Yano Lesher clan, my sympathy and solidarity with his family, and thanks, Larry, for doing your job as a broadcaster. That others would follow your example would be a great, great bonus for people looking for information. So, Shane, stay safe. No, stay away from anybody that you don't have to be in contact with. Keep washing your hands, accept all the regulations, and just mind yourselves. Slan, Gunyurian Ta, Libsha, Gulyar.